and happy new year welcome to the midwest football podcast episode 38 there's just one more week left in the nfl regular season and then we get to one of the very best seasons in all of sports the nfl playoffs but don't worry we'll continue to cover the bears Bengals, browns colts lions packers steelers and vikings all throughout the postseason I'm Joe Smith, one of your hosts for this podcast, and I am here in a motor city that is already body bagging the University of Washington. My co-host is here with us from the comparatively warm Orlando, Florida, but his heart remains in Ditka land. Hello, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Uh, Happy New Year to all. I got to close out last year by going to the famous Pop-Tarts Bowl with the new mascot of the bowl season, the uh, giant weird Pop-Tart that got eaten to death that's become a meme. And um, I will be uh, finishing the rest of my New Year's cheer with this podcast, so hopefully I won't slur as bad as I did last week when I was misspeaking constantly, as I just did right now. Uh, when I got off the plane and came here and recorded. So uh, happy to be with you guys. Happy New Year's to all. I hope your 2024s bring you more fantasy championships than it did last year. Also, congratulations on your championship and the Keeper League we're in. And friend of the podcast, Tony, who won his first Dynasty League championship, ending my reign. Um, it sounds bad for me, but I did win a uh, league I'm in with my buddies, Bachelor League, with Tony also. So we, all three of us are champions. Even Alex, friend of the podcast, won the Kickball League. So uh, apparently, uh, poor Raymond, uh, everybody else who's on this podcast wins their league. Raymond did win the Governor's Cup, but flamed out in the playoffs. That's our best regular season. Oh, yeah. Title for those of us who are not in our league. And then don't know what the Governor's Cup is. And then he unfortunately ran into Joe in the semifinals and me in the Candy Bowl for third place. And uh, tough break, Raymond. You had a great year. You'll do better. But everybody who's come on this podcast had a great year in fantasy football. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think think we drop a lot of good knowledge. Let's get going with some more, shall we? Yes, we shall. If you like this show, now that we're in 2024 or all the way through... Please do help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, recommending our show to your friends, any way that you can get the word out about what we do and how we're doing it is going to be incredibly helpful. It really does help. And thank you very much for doing it. You can also, if you want to get involved directly with the show, you can email us at MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. But in this episode, we're going to break down who's playing for what this week uh, in the NFL in case anybody is still playing fantasy football or is just curious about what needs to happen. Plus, we're going to bring you all the analysis and discussion that you listen to us for. So let's get to who will be playing for real this week, starting with uh, the AFC. The Ravens went out and just Beat the snot out of Miami last week to clinch the one seed home field and probably a league MVP for Lamar Jackson. So it's highly unlikely any Baltimore players play a full game because they've clinched everything in sight. Although there is a rest versus rust argument to be made here. I will say this on the Ravens. um, They have beaten MVP non-quarterback candidates, Christian McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill back-to-back and dominating victories. I think that's good for uh, Lamar, especially because Purdy was one of the people vanquished, as we talked about last week. Yeah, definitely. The format is actually kind of interesting here because Baltimore, if they do play, has a chance to eliminate the Pittsburgh Steelers from playoff contention, and Pittsburgh is one of the teams that beat them earlier this year. So 
don't be totally shocked if Baltimore plays their, their starters at least enough to get somebody up or down a score or two. But at the same time, you can't bet on it either. If you've got a fantasy football game that matters this week, it's hard to start any Ravens. Mm, Steelers are full go, but it is in the teeth of a tough matchup. Speaking of full go, the Sunday night game is the Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins. Winner gets the AFC East, so both teams are full go there. The Dolphins, I believe, are in regardless. The the Bills are probably in, but there are scenarios where they can knock all the way out of the playoffs if the wrong things happen around them. You are speaking of that matchup. What's interesting to me is if Miami wins that, there is a scenario where Miami, Jacksonville, and Tampa all host playoff games this weekend, next weekend. Wow. They could all win their division. Hmm. In the West, Kansas City is now completely locked into the number three seed. They've won their eighth straight AFC West title. Boring. Mm-hmm. But I would be shocked if any meaningful players are out there for the full game. So the question everyone wants to know, will Taylor Swift be there? <laughs> that depends on if Travis Kelsey will even bother to be there. <laughs> I wouldn't bother. He's got, he's slowing down the last few weeks, so he needs to take the week off and uh, get his legs back for the playoffs. Hopefully some of these teams that are in a position to rest starters will look over to Chubb for Miami that just blew his knee and be like, yeah, that could be Mahomes or that could be Lamar Jackson. And there goes our playoff run. Be smart Mm -hmm. on the AFC South. That's a lot harder because it doesn't have an elite team, but it's got three good teams. You got Houston and Indianapolis playing on Saturday night. Note the unusual start time. Uh, And for all intents and purposes, that's a playoff game. Winner gets in. Some strange things can happen if that somehow ends up in a tie, but most likely the winner of that game is going to be in. The winner also has a chance to win the division if Jacksonville chokes it against the Titans. The last exactly. place. Yeah, and um, that's interesting because all three of the teams you mentioned are tied for first at nine and seven, and I believe Jacksonville has the tiebreaker, but that is correct. Jacksonville Jacksonville wins there. They've got the division period. That is why Houston and Indianapolis play Saturday night because it'll make sure their game is relevant because it'll keep the winner in the hunt for the division title and give them more motivation to play. Now, we've seen this in the past and within the own division. Tennessee may have nothing to play for, so you might think, eh, Jacksonville's going to win regardless. But we saw Houston last year throw everything they could to win a meaningless game and cost them the number one overall pick. And Chicago still thanks you, Lovey Smith, forever a hero. Well, it's not just that. A lot of those individual players are and coaches are playing for their jobs and their careers in some cases. Mm-hmm. So you know, they don't give a care that a win might cost the team the player that helps them turn the corner. They they're looking out for themselves, and that's how the yeah. NFL is structured. If you don't like that, give everybody long term guaranteed contracts. Or the higher drafted player that they lose for takes their job and then they're out unemployed. So they don't want that either. Either way, yeah. Same church, different pew. Mm -hmm. If Jacksonville loses, the AFC South will go to the Colts-Texans winner. Mm -hmm. Either way, if you're playing fantasy football, start all of them that you would normally start. 
Getting to the wild cards, Cleveland is completely locked into the number five seed. So they're probably going to take their bye this week by sitting everyone. That leaves the eliminated teams as Denver, the Chargers, Vegas, New England, the Jets, the Titans, and unfortunately, the Cincinnati Bengals. Sorry, Cincinnati. More on that later. The eliminated teams are always tough to figure, though, because usually if there's somebody remotely hurt, then they're not going to play. But you get a lot of surprising efforts because these guys are playing for their jobs. On the NFC side, likewise, San Francisco has clinched the number one seed going away. They've got it all. Home field, you name it. They're done. Nothing else they can prove. So don't count on them to play much. And they're playing the Rams to jump ahead, who have locked into the sixth seed. Basically, they've locked in, and uh, they have nothing to really play for either. So, okay, so that's going to be a practice squad game. Yeah, if you're starting anybody, you're starting third stringers. If you're playing a fantasy championship, <laughs> that's a hollow way to win it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, this is why we did everything we could to get our title game off of the last week because. Well, this is going to be a particularly bad week for it, which you'll see when we get to the sum up at the end here. In the NFC East, the Dallas win over Detroit, and boy, do I have more on that later, (laughs) leaves Dallas firmly in the driver's seat. All they have to do to win the East is go and beat up on a Washington Commanders team that the Cowboys just obliterated on Thanksgiving and who basically seems to be heading straight for a Ron Rivera firing. A Washington Commander team that is currently sitting on the second pick of the draft and could lose a lot by winning. Also true. Even if Dallas somehow loses, which really is kind of par for the course for Dallas, it's not a sure thing that Philadelphia backdoors their way into the division title. They'd have to win. Their opponent is the Giants, and right now you've got Matt Patricia stealing money from the Eagles as the defensive play caller, so they can lose to anybody at the moment. As the Philadelphia has lost five of their last four of the last five since Patricia started playing calling plays for defense. Yes, it has gotten provably worse. The more that Matt Patricia touches, the worse it gets. Fire him now, it's addition by subtraction. If only the Eagles could have seen his defense firsthand in the Super Bowl while making Nick Foles look like the greatest player of all time, beating Tom Brady in a shootout. Oh, wait, they did see that when he was the defensive coordinator in New England, and he was terrible then, too. Sorry for your Lions that they couldn't see it, and they hired him as a head coach the next year. But hey, Matt Patricia destroying the Eagles could finally bring the Lions a Super Bowl win. Possible. (laughs) That being said, both the Cowboys and the Eagles do have lots of incentive to play their starters. So you can go with them with no regrets. NFC South is just a mess. If Tampa wins, they're in. It doesn't matter that they got skunked by New Orleans last week. Uh, If they lose, then that opens the door to both the Saints and the Falcons of all teams to still win the division, depending upon how the rest of it shakes out. And the Saints also have a shot to make it as a wild card with a couple of different screwy scenarios. But we're not going to get into the weeds on that. In the NFC North, Detroit's clinched the division and at least the number three seed. They can still get to the two, but in order for that to happen, they need Dallas and Philly to both lose and to beat uh, the Vikings this week. So 
Dan Campbell has come out and said that he is playing starters full go this week. I believe him. This is in character for him, and it's also that we can knock out a division opponent, although Minnesota is really not the one I would be worried about knocking out of the playoffs. But that's just my opinion. Sorry, Minnesota. We've lost to the other two in the division. In any case, that means the Lions are risky fantasy plays this week. If they do get up, they'll probably get a quick hook. Rams have clinched the six, like you said, so this is their week off. Seattle made it tougher on themselves by losing to Pittsburgh. Now they need to beat an Arizona team that is occasionally frisky, and they need the Bears to beat the Packers. Green Bay, boy, this sounds familiar, controls their playoff destiny in Week 18 with a home game against a a vastly improved division opponent that people thought was going to be historically bad in the first month of the season. This time it's the bears. History repeats itself. That was the scenario last year when the lions upset them and knocked them out of the playoffs. So the way Chicago has been playing the last six weeks, that is not a gimme. Uh, Minnesota is not mathematically eliminated as I alluded to earlier, but they need to beat Detroit, and then I think they need three or four other games to go their way. So I don't think it's worth trying to even break down. No, I'm not going to try it. Yeah. Uh, so from a fantasy perspective, Seattle and Green Bay, full starts. Rams don't play. Lions play with caution. Minnesota, a cautious start into a likely tough matchup. It could be a very weird game in Detroit. In summary, don't play Ravens, Browns, Lions, Chiefs, Rams, or 49ers this week. That, Which is really a pretty brutal last week of the season. That did not work out so well. Speaking of things that are working out well, however, I'd like you to email the us at Midwest Football Podcast, and we will get into the Week 17 reactions. Starting with the Thursday game, the Jets at Browns, and this was sort of the national bar mitzvah of Joe Flacco as a Cleveland Brown, they ended up winning 30 to 37 to 20, excuse me, uh, in a game that was basically over in the first half. This has become a coronation of the Browns now, let's be honest. We talked about last week, um, Flacco gives them, the way he's playing, gives them a shot to beat anybody. And now I'm hearing the rest of the national news say, hey, the Browns might be the best chance to beat the Ravens in the playoffs. But more on that later, that was just a victory lap for what we talked about last week. What we've been talking about all year, honestly, when the quarterback once the quarterback has been remotely good, the Browns look like world beaters mm-hmm. because of everything else that they've got going on on that team. And I will talk a whole lot more about Flacco actually in just a little bit when we talk about the Lions, believe it or not. Segway. Oh, interesting. But because I had a really interesting conversation with a couple of friends of the podcast. Uh, just yesterday or the day before about Joe Flacco and I wanted to kind of bring to the table here. Mm. But with this game, what weaknesses does this Browns team have? Cleveland is totally bought in on this Cleveland Browns team. They are ready for the Super Bowl in down in Lake Erie. So there's we've talked a lot about the Browns and we think they have a very good team. But if you were lined up to play the Browns. How do you attack that team right now? I mean, this is a really tough question because 
the easy answers would be quarterback and running back without Chubb and uh, Watson, but Flacco has been playing better than Watson ever has in a Browns uniform, and Ford and Kareem Hunt have been a really good tandem. They lost a couple of tackles. Maybe that's the best thing, the offensive tackles, but I don't really know where you tack them on defense. And uh, offensively, I mean, Njoku's been balling out, and so is Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore. So what do you think their weakness is? I, I don't actually really know, other than maybe Flacco might throw four interceptions instead of two. Yeah, this is a really well-built team that's especially got it in the positions that you normally have to draft high, with the exception of quarterback, although Joe Flacco is playing like a top five or top ten quarterback for a lot of what's going on here. You do have to be careful because if you're looking at this with a skeptical eye, uh, the second half that Joe Flacco had against the Jets is something to keep an eye on because after halftime, now they didn't have to throw, so they didn't do that very much. Mm -hmm. But But against the Jets, Flacco was only three for seven for 13 yards in the second half. I mean, they were also up 34 to 17 at halftime and just kind of coasted. But yeah, right, right. But he also had three interceptions in five games in the second half, which is not a huge amount considering the volume that he's typically been throwing. But Mm -hmm. um, that that is something to monitor, maybe especially if their offensive line issues are something that's going to stick maybe you kind of blitz joe flacco and take away some of the downfield game that way mm-hmm. yeah it, it's tough to read based on the jets game because amari cooper was out so even if flacco struggled he'll probably get cooper back but i still agree with as well as flacco's playing he's been dead for basically four years as an nfl starting quarterback and i think the biggest weakness is flacco just turning back into a pumpkin and they're like, and you you mentioned earlier they have a lot of offensive line uh, injuries. So if they just go get the old guy and blitz them, that's probably the best way to do it. Just don't let downfield plays develop. And you can also stuff the run game while you're doing it. Yeah, you're gonna have to be the the tricky part is always is attacking the Browns' defense because they've got one of the best corners in the NFL and they've got one of the best pass rushes. So you're talking about finding quick throws to secondary and tertiary options. And that's usually not a recipe for success unless you're playing one heck of a quarterback on the other side. Moving to the Saturday game was the Lions and the Cowboys. And there has already been just a ton of ink spilled about this game. I was watching this with a couple friends of the podcast, Jason and Seth, and who are also in our league and big Lions fans. And, Apparently, I went home after the game ended, and they were basically just sitting around for half an hour after the game upset about not even the refereeing. The refereeing, as Lions fans, you know, we still hear Dallas Cowboys fans complain and moan about the Dak Prescott catch from 2014, but to a Lions fan, that's every season. There's anytime that it's there's something that it looks like we might turn the corner. It's the call in the end zone here, or it's a phantom pass, uh, roughing the passer against Aaron Rodgers, or it's the process of the catch, or it's whatever. We're just used to it. That's normal. You have to rise above that if you're a Lions fan. 
okay, they didn't get the call on the two-point conversion. And what I think happened here is they, even though they did absolutely everything that you're supposed to do, including preview before the game to the referee what the call was going to be, what they were going to try and do, the referee still screwed it up because they ran three different offensive tackles over towards the referee to try and confuse Dallas. And they also ended up confusing the official who messed it up and screwed the Lions. Okay, now what do you do? Apparently, if you're Dan Campbell, you go for two from the seven or eight yard line, which is a hugely unlikely thing to do. It should have been over right there. Dallas bailed him out with a Micah Parsons offside. So we go for it from the four. And at this point, it's not even tempers and hot heads because there's now been over 10 minutes from the time the penalty was called to the snap of the ball on the third two-point conversion. So I was understanding of the initial call to go for two. I was appalled at the call, and I was angered by what Dan Campbell did here. It was beyond reckless. Mm-hmm. I will 100% agree with that. So from a, uh, I'll say calmer perspective, um, going for two at the end of the game makes a lot of sense because you have the momentum you just scored and the defense is tired. It's at the end of the game. I'm glad you point out that by the time they took the third attempt, it had been 10 minutes. The defense had had plenty of time to catch their breath. You're also, you didn't get back to the original starting point. You start from the two when you go for two, not the four. So even then it's still a lot less of a threat to go for, you know, play action doesn't work as well. If you are going to try a play fake from the four than it does from the two, you know, and I'm glad you said it. They got too cute. They tried to trick the, the Cowboys into not knowing who the eligible lineman was, except that before the play, the long, the announcers announced on the field who is reported eligible. So you're not tricking anybody if they listen to their, if they have the ears and they can listen, you know, to the loud PA system, which they can. So I I don't understand why they were trying to get cute that way. They weren't going to sneak it in anyways. And they just confused the refs. And also I believe Taylor Decker was uncovered anyway. So I think it was an illegal formation. The way I understand it, the reason it was an illegal formation is because Taylor Decker was not declared eligible. If he had mm. been declared eligible as the play was intended, it oh, would have so been a legal be formation. It. Got it. Okay. So he was the one he was uncovered because he technically wasn't legal as a pass catcher. Got it. Right. So, so uh, look, the the, okay. and at the same time, the number that was announced on, on the intercom as eligible was 70, which is not Decker. So if anybody was so if anybody was paying attention, which I'm sure people don't do to the intercom, then they would have said, oh, wait a minute. That's the wrong guy. That's not who this play is called for. Yeah, they would have just covered look, the other the guy officiating, that was Look, the officiating was terrible all the way along. Apparently, this, uh, this officiating crew doesn't call holds. Apparently, this officiating crew doesn't call pass interference. There was a tripping call that went against 
Dallas that is the entire reason Detroit got the ball back that they that was actually Aiden Hutchinson and they called it on the wrong team. They called it on the guy tried to block Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> I believe when it was Hutchinson that clearly stuck his foot out. This but look, none of this matters. Just if Campbell would have kicked the field goal on fourth and goal early in the game, when the Lions score, it's game over. Mm-hmm. They don't need the two point conversion. If the there, I counted at least four or five plays that got completely obliterated because the left guard flat out missed somebody coming in clean. Like, went to double team block somebody and let a linebacker or defensive lineman come right through and explode the play. It almost made me wonder if Jameer Gibbs was telegraphing run and pass. Because Jameer Gibbs was getting obliterated, losing four every single time he handed the ball, and Montgomery was okay. So if the offensive line shows up at all, Lions win this game. Yeah, no point. You never mind the the Barnes wrap up. Just wrap up the quarterback in the end zone instead of trying to knock him into orbit or love tap him or whatever it was, and it becomes a ninety two yard touchdown pass. That's a nine point swing. That's your game. Or just you know Jared Goff throwing the ball on target would be nice. He as I've said on this podcast before, he's smart enough to read the defense and feel the blitz. He's not smart enough to see that his dump off guy is covered or about to get smoked for a four yard loss when you should have just thrown it away. The first interception was a spectacular play by Dallas where he just turned and fired to a guy and like the screen pass got intercepted. It was unbelievable. And then the second one was a ball that he missed five feet to the inside on an outbreaking route which you just cannot do. That's an interception every time. If even one of those interceptions doesn't happen, the Lions win. So we've got Dan Campbell who just does not care. You have to recognize Dan Campbell is one of the best motivators of players in decades. He is going to get more out of a team than anybody because Um, they are going to run through walls for him. You are winning two, three games a year because of how hard they're playing every week for Dan Campbell. You also have to recognize that you are going to lose two or three games a year because Dan Campbell does not care. And by does not care, do you mean he's too reckless with play calling too aggressive? And we saw that in uh, L.A. with the Chargers a couple of years ago with Brandon Staley, and it paid off early on, and he kept doing it, and eventually he's no longer employed. Yeah, He's not as good of a motivator as Campbell. I'm not saying that they're the same. but Dan Campbell, they put up a stat, goes for it over 50% on fourth down in plus territory. There you go. You know the teams are – at this point, you know he's not catching anybody off guard by going for it either. Yeah, everybody's looking for it. Yeah. Which kind of, you know, let me to a conversation I had with Seth is mm-hmm. friend of the podcast, Seth, who shout out Bronze yep, Man too. Who was on here earlier. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, look, okay, so we're getting right now Joe Flacco's making thirty five million dollars a year. He's you know, if they sign him to an extension this offseason, next year is his contract year, he's probably gonna make forty five. How well, many Jared of Goff. the sorry, you said Joe Flacco. Is, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I meant Jared Goff. Okay. But where I was going at is how many of these games do the Lions win if Joe Flacco is the quarterback all year at a tenth of the cost? Now you sound like a Jets fan. <laughs> but no, you're right. This is a good question. Uh, the way that is, that's a, playing, a, it's way a, better and a, way cheaper. Yeah. I'm identifying, I'm picking Joe Flacco because he is a well-identified but replacement level quarterback. And someone who was available. It was a realistic option. I'm not even counting if you paid Joe Flacco $3 million instead of Jared Goff $35 million, That's three pro bowlers that you can add. I'm not even counting that. Hmm. Just how many of the Lions' 11 wins do they still get if Joe Flacco is the quarterback? Is it all of them? Is it 10? Is it eight? It is a really good question because stylistically they're very different where Flacco pushes the ball down the field and has a tendency to turn it over more. And that meshes really well with the way the Browns play defense. They can get that back. It turns into a punt. I'm not sure the Lions defense is that good. So that's a good question, though. I'm not playing I'm not playing devil's advocate. I don't know the answer. But it is a good question to think about. Do you have a, what, Do you have any thoughts on that? I think it would probably be most of them because yeah, it's a different kind of passing game. I'm not sure he's the best fit stylistically for the lions receivers Hmm. and the Browns defense is better than the lions defense. And it's not close, but the lions defense run defense is one of the best in the league. So if they come even close to getting a lead, they can do a really good job of turning the other team one dimensional. The problem is they haven't gotten very many leads lately. Speaking about another team that is growing highly, let's talk about the Falcons and the Bears. And the Bears did a phenomenal job just slamming the door on the Atlanta Falcons last week with, what were they chanting? We want fields. We want fields. As they clinched the number one overall pick of the draft, I don't think the fans want Caleb Williams or Drake May. I think they want to stick with fields and give them some help. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want as a fan base. You got to tell that ownership, hey, if you move on, you're this is not what we want. I don't know where you're getting where they're getting this information here. So the Bears look like world beaters in the second half here. What do you think is causing this kind of just epic turnaround? Well, so this is an interesting thing because I, I was very giddy with during this game because this yes, is I my... could tell from my I am. Yeah, this is my favorite game of the year because it's not. It's been very common for the Bears to get off to a fast start, as we've talked about earlier. They uh, Luke Getzey does a good job scripting the opening drive, and then the Bears' offense kind of tails off. And we've seen epic collapses against Denver, Detroit, and uh, Cleveland as of three weeks ago. And to me, what I find interesting, and this is what I was hoping to see the Bears do is I think the last three games is the perfect microcosm of what we needed to see out of this Bears team on both offense and defense of shutting the door. Three weeks ago, the Bears had a 17-7 to lead against Cleveland late, and they imploded. They, they The offense started uh, false starting, shooting themselves in the foot. Defense fell apart, couldn't cover Njoku. Cleveland comes back, wins it. Bears, you know, drop a Hail Mary, all this other stuff, right? They could not close the deal against a 11-win playoff team, but they had them on the ropes. 
It's like Denny Green said against the Bears 20 years ago. They are who we thought they were. <laughs> but then the next week, they got off to a quick start. They're 21 to nothing against the upstart Cardinals, who have upset a couple of good teams now, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh now. Sorry, city, state of Pennsylvania. But the Cardinals started coming back. It looked like the same old script. And the Bears did just enough to eke in a field goal once they got within a score and pull up to an 11-point game. Uh, win, but it felt like a loss because they you still let the Cardinals into the game. You didn't shut the door, but it showed progress because they didn't fully implode. They did enough to win. Atlanta was the full culmination of a full, complete game that I have not seen because we've seen the Cleveland script multiple times before. We've seen the Arizona script a couple of times where they've taken a quick lead and held on. This is one where they took a quick lead on Atlanta and just continue to throttle them. There was a sequence where Atlanta scored their 17th point. Bears marched on the field, score touchdown, interception, field goal, interception. All sides of the ball, they just started d- d- dismantling them. And it's a shame because I wish they did this a little bit earlier. They'd be a really scary wild card component, opponent, you know? But to me, I just think this is just what you need to see because you have to throw away last year where the Bears tore down the roster and rebuilt from scratch. They got a couple gems. They did the DJ Moore trade. Now they've grown together. Fields has shown maturity and progress after coming back from injuries. He's keeping the chain moving. He's checking the ball down, using his legs and making big plays all at the same time. And he's not turning the ball over. I don't know what else you could ask for from a quarterback. And Montez Sweat has transformed the Bears' defense. And I just think they look like a fairly complete team. And I think what's changed over the last couple weeks is just a maturing of the uh, of a young roster starting to believe in themselves. And I don't know if you got to watch the game, Joe, but a lot of the comments on the sideline was how emotional the Bears players were on the team, knowing this could be their last team game together in Soldier Field because of all the rumors that Fields is getting shipped off and uh, the coach might get fired and all that stuff. And I just don't think you can blow the roster up. When you're showing progress like this in the second half of the season, and particularly the last month, I think you owe it to run it back. If they implode next year, then blow it up. I don't care. But you you owe this. This is what you do. This is what you do. You build a team from the – you tear down a roster, you build it up, and it would be irresponsible to tear it down again while you're showing signs of uh, progress, especially when your team is finally learning how to win a game, offensively and defensively. I like what you said there about how the team is growing together and it's just part of a uh, a natural maturation of a team with so many young players. I also want to throw in there, don't underestimate – the addition of Montez Sweat, which I know you're not, oh. but he filled the biggest single hole on the Bears team offense or defense. It's one of the most important positions in all of football, the pass rusher. And he was a veteran that can teach all these young kids what it looks like to prepare in a serious way, in a way that actually lets you win a game. Mm. And because just like the Lions experienced last year, we've said so many times the Bears are one year behind the Lions that all oh, the okay. same script <laughs> right yeah, down that, the week 18 opponent <laughs> that the bears need to learn how to win as a young team that hasn't had success in umpteen number of years you have to learn how to win it looks like it's taken them a while but they're they're getting there 
too late for this season and you hope that the ownership and management doesn't do something screwy because I'm totally with you. I think that you this would be like blowing up the Lions after the Green Bay game last year. You just can't yeah. do it. You'll turn off the entire fan base. Or the Eagles two years ago. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I agree. The, the, the fans love it. But... Exactly. Let's head uh, to the southeast a little bit and talk about the Indianapolis Colts, which is another young team that just keeps winning. And it, they've been so hard to to try and pin down. The, 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 I was trying to think over the weekend just what what are the different components of their secret sauce there? Uh, how do we know what you know, what do they really need to go well in order to have their best shot at a win other than Gardner Minshew not imploding, but I'm sure there's more to it than that. Well, you just stole my thunder. Cause I was going to say, it feels like this team rises and falls as Minshew's erratic behavior play, uh, quarterback goes. Um, they are a nine and seven team. They have clinched a winning record despite having a top four draft pick in last year's draft, which Hasn't played much this year because Anthony Richardson has been hurt. And um, it's very impressive. And it's weird because I don't even know. I feel like it's when the offensive line plays well is when they look good. And that's the best thing I can get. And I I apologize if I stole your thunder. I see you nodding along. But um, they have good players. Quentin Nelson's one of the best guards in the league. We've seen the, the, the offensive line two years ago be really well or play well, and they fell apart last year when the team imploded. And this year, it seems weird. They seem to be kind of up and down. Like, if you look at the PFF grades, two weeks ago when they lost, it was terrible. Minshew was getting hit right off the bat. You know, you mentioned that last week during our podcast. Yeah, he was getting crushed. The offensive line for the Colts has just tremendous players on the inside. The offensive tackles are talented but young and not super highly drafted they went with upside youth in at the tackle position the last couple of years and when they play well when they're hot this Colts team is tough to beat especially if they get a little bit of a lead because they do have a pass rush mm-hmm. when the other team is sending guys from all angles they've got young tackles and a backup quarterback I mean when you've got a, a, a backup quarterback that's playing heavy numbers of games like Minshew to me his numbers aren't really indicative of him so much as his situation those guys are going to need a lot of help in order to win games at the NFL level and have succeed have success mm-hmm. and when the Colts have played well with multiple receiving targets and a running game and a pass rush and he's protected then Minshew looks good like a good backup does on a playoff caliber team when not so yeah keep an eye on those tackles and the offensive line in general because i really feel like that plus shane steichen is the secret sauce here might be philadelphia is missing his play calling and i will say to your point like uh they have a second year starting at right tackle i believe it is uh, bernard Rynum. he was a uh, central michigan he was a athletic monster but he's very raw and inexperienced. And I don't know if the Colts fans will remember, he had like three false starts and a hold in his first ever start as a rookie year last year. He has played very well this year overall, but he still has games where he just gets beat. 
and he looks like a rookie in a raw tackle. But his overall score is very good. Fourth uh, highest rated tackle <laughs> by PFF. But he's been inconsistent. It masks his game to game. Exactly. I would I would go the same. I mean, he's they've really got a steal with him, but you do have to live with the ups and downs. Speaking of ups and downs, let's talk about the Steelers who went on the road to Seattle and were in the middle of Rudolph mania going on right here. The Steelers won 30-23 in one of the most difficult places to play in the entire NFL. And still, all we're hearing about from the Steelers media or people covering the Steelers is drama. The latest thing is, and this has been denied vehemently by the team and uh, by Kenny Pickett is that a couple of outside sources are saying that Kenny Pickett flatly refused to be the backup to Mason Rudolph. And that is why he was inactive for last week's game. This week, we know for sure that Rudolph is starting over a healthy Pickett this week in week 18 with the season on the line. I mean, Mason Rudolph has been phenomenal the last two games, and he helped get them to the playoffs one year when uh, Roethlisberger got injured. You know, he has been fine. He's earned it, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. Do you believe the story that Kenny Pickett refused to suit up last week, or do you think that's just smoke? Do I? No, I don't believe it, which kind of got me to thinking, well, first of all, before I get too far down the track, I do want to kind of say, why wouldn't you start Mason Rudolph in this game? He's been fantastic. You're playing the uh, you're playing the Ravens. If the Ravens pl- uh, play their starters and they smoke you, then you've got a reason to go back to your draft pick next year. If he turns around and beats the Ravens that are trying to beat the Steelers and he- they win anyway, you found your quarterback. Mm-hmm. What's is there a downside to this? And what I find interesting is Rudolph is one of my favorite types of stories in the NFL. He's like a mid-round draft pick. I think he was a third in the same draft class as Lamar Jackson. And he was considered one of these raw prospects that wasn't expected to be good right away. So it's funny when you see him flash in year five or six, and then you go, well, but we drafted this other guy in the first round. Except we are seeing what, the hope was when they drafted him that he could mature on the bench over years and overcome his rawness in uh, college. And we're seeing that. So I don't see any reason to go away from it. And to me, the story about Pickett, whether it's true or not, is a sad cloud over an otherwise season where the Steelers have already clinched a 17th winning or at least non-losing season for Mike Tomlin, because This is what they call the Tyson zone, where you can make any story about Mike Tyson, whether it's true or not, people just (laughs) believe it. And whether it's true or not that Pickett is throwing a tantrum, so many players in the Steelers locker room have thrown a tantrum this year that it's believable, you know? And to me, that's almost as devastating as the truth, if 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 it is true, or I should say, because that's something that Tomlin's got to do a better job getting a hold of his locker room, because I don't know why they're so upset because this is a team that's winning and they were having these tantrums while they were winning. And that to me, assuming the reports are true. Yes, that's true. And, 
But to me, this is a team and a franchise that has been very steady. They've had three two coaches in the Super Bowl era. They've all won a Super Bowl. They are as um, stable as can be. So it is very strange to see so much locker room infighting. This is usually typical of a team that goes through a coach every other year and is losing. This is not the case. And this is a really weird story, to be honest. But it's marring an otherwise great road win. Seattle's one of the toughest stadiums to play in. Baltimore's the other really tough place to play in, and that's what they have. This looked like an insurmountable two-game stretch to win, and now the Ravens might not be playing their starters, and the Steelers could easily win both of these games on the road and make the playoffs. I mean, that is incredible. And uh, I'm hearing rumors that the Steelers with Mason Rudolph could be another one that's familiar with the Ravens and could pull an upset like the Browns. Well, that's another team that already beat the Ravens this year. Boom. And that was with uh, Pickett, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. But let's assume for the minute, and we have seen some tantrums on the sideline. So there are. we know that this is not completely made up stuff. Mm-hmm. But if this is all locker room stuff, you do have to wonder, how is it getting out? Where are these stories coming from? And the line that comes to my mind is not everybody for the Steelers right now is actually for the Steelers. Mm. Because these stories, you're getting it from places like The Athletic. And I don't think they're in the business to just make up stories. Yeah, they don't seem like a drama queen. I I like The Athletic. They have good content. So where is this coming from? Who are their sources here? Obviously, they're not in a position where they're going to come out and say and destroy the locker room, but somebody in here is in business for themselves. That's what is making me kind of scratch my head. And you're seeing all kinds of anti-Tomlin stories, too, at the same time. People are mad that he is not playing Kenny Pickett. People are mad that he is playing Rudolph. People are mad that they're not a 12-win team. People think that they're stuck in mediocrity because of Tomlin. I mean... People are mad that they played uh, Trubisky over Mason Rudolph. There's that, too. So, I have a question. So, um, pause it for you, because this is the first time I really thought about this, and as you were talking about this. The only thing that's really changed massively over the last few years is that They have a new GM over the last couple of years. Do you think that there is some infighting between, I believe it's Omar Khan, who I believe is on his second year as the Steelers GM, and Mike Tomlin? Because Tomlin's not, doesn't like the guys he's drafting, and Omar Khan wishes he had his own quarterback. Or, sorry, that could be. Because we've had the same GM in Pittsburgh for a long time. Now, we are wildly speculating, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Just to put that out there, but that's plausible. And when I say that, I know nothing about the situation. I've not heard anything insider. I'm just speculating based on the fact that there's so much smoke and there's only one thing that's massively changed at the top. That's that's a point. The only other thing that could strike me as is that you've got individual players going into business for themselves. That's the most obvious, less less juicy. But we've seen it, you know, Pickens versus Deontay, Jalen Warren versus Najee at running back fighting for lobbying. But each quarterback has a case, you know. 
Yeah, but to to get back to your point, you show me a general manager and a coach, and the exception is when they get along. Because at some point, they're going to disagree on a player, and usually, rather than get over it and get back together, that's when they each start plotting to get rid of the other one. This is how Harbaugh ended up at Michigan, because he lost a political fight in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. With four, after four years of winning records. Exactly. Omar Khan took over in 2022 as GM. His first pick was Kenny Pickett. So he might be upset that he's not uh, playing now that he's back from injury. I've, we saw it in L.A. with Philip Rivers versus Drew Brees. Philip Rivers was the GM's first head, uh, pick, and he wanted to see him play over Drew Brees, and, he got, and, and there was a lot of infighting. Yeah. Ultimately, San Diego lost. And the Chargers. Well, something's going on over in Pittsburgh, that's for sure. In any case, we need to see what's going on with the Bengals, too, because uh, we need to do a little bit of a brief post-mortem on their season because uh, they they had Kansas City late and just couldn't convert on a couple of fourth and shorts, and there it went, and they're out of the playoffs. And where do you go from here if – you're the the Bengals. Well, this is interesting because it's the easy way out is just to say we lost Joe Burrow. He tanked our season, but he was, you know, unhealthy to start the season. They got to start off to a slow start, which already makes what they did the last two years. Really impressive that they end up in the AFC championship game. The last two years, including a super bowl, despite slow starts, you know, those in those years, they looked like they were on the same trajectory until Burrow got injured. Well, Jake Browning actually played very well and, you know, in, um, in relief. The bigger issues was the defense, which we talked about in our preseason podcast. They lost a lot of members of their secondary and they did not. They had a bottom three defense. Um, From an analytics other, standpoint, they had the worst win rate in the NFL. Win rate meaning uh, successful defensive plays. OK, I thought you meant like pass rush specifically, but OK, overall. So to me. This leaves them with a, at a crossroads because there's a lot of worm, r- rumors that this was the last game we'll see Joe Mixon play because he's probably sitting out next week because he's a veteran and they've been eliminated. Um, his uh, yards per carry have been going down his efficiency metrics the last couple of years. He's been fine in volume and fantasy, but he's not been as explosive as he was. And then we have the T Higgins question. How much do you pay this guy when you've already paid Burrow and Marchese? So what's your take? How would you rebuild or reload the, the the Bengals from here? Would you focus on the defense? Would you focus on the receivers who also Tyler Boyd looks like a shell of himself from a couple of years ago? Yeah, they, I think it's time to at the next convenient time, it's time to move on from Tyler Boyd. That's for sure. Uh, T Higgins actually impressed me in this game because not from a stat perspective exactly, but because he came out and played on an injured hammy to try and keep the Bengals season alive. And that I've been burned very badly by T Higgins as a fantasy owner. I've seen him vanish for long stretches as in actual football, but that's the kind of thing that impresses me. And that's the kind of thing that makes me want him on my team. The places that I would really rebuild first that need attention and not even necessarily big bucks is the run blocking this you know the interior of the line the right side 
and they need to address the secondary and linebacker core, the back seven, big time. Yeah, so and the sad part is they tried to address the offensive line last year, and it just didn't work out. But the good news is I, I think you can keep T. Higgins because you mentioned uh, moving on from Boyd. Boyd and Mixon both have big cap hits this year, and I think this, the Bengals can move on from both of them. They're both in the uh, $10 million plus. And I think that can free up the money to sign T Higgins if you want to. And then a lot of these, yeah, that's all you would need. Yeah. And all these linemen that didn't pan out over the last couple of years, their guarantees are basically done. Cause I think they signed three of them two years ago. Um, you could probably get off of those contracts and take more shots at them. And we can find value at running back to replace Mixon. I mean, maybe chase Brown's right there, you know, rookie i believe out of illinois he's shown some explosive plays in the last couple weeks and then throw some capital out the secondary i i think that despite all the holes we just talked about they're eight and eight without their star quarterback and you know the receivers have been banged up and all i think they're a retool away from uh, a couple right hits and draft picks the right free agency and i think they can do it if it's done right it's easier said than done because the execution will be in the details, but they're in a position to build on the right spots if they know what they're doing. Yeah, they have to get the run game and the pass defense figured out. After the Chiefs stuffed Joe Mixon on fourth and one at the Chiefs six yard line in a 17-13 game. The Bengals ran 19 plays after that for just 36 yards and only one designed run play. Well, that's how you uh, give you got scored 12 to nothing in the fourth quarter or sorry, second half to yeah. lose after Mixon got one. stopped. They just abandoned the run. So some of this is coaching too. agreed. Browning's been a good story, but you still got to keep a balanced offense when you're running with a backup quarterback, especially with a backup quarterback. Yeah. Mm hmm. On to the Sunday night game, which was the finale of the week on New Year's Eve. Packers at Vikings. This was ugly from the first quarter on, if you were a Vikings fan. Look, they really broke it down on the broadcast how you had a blitz-heavy defensive coordinator, but he knows he doesn't have, especially after injuries, the corners and safeties on the back end to play man coverage all game long so he started playing zone on the back end while blitzing and that's not something you can do against a good quarterback that's mm-hmm. it left all kinds of massive holes on the back end and jordan love just beat the blitz for a, to the tune of a 33 to 10 packer victory here yeah, and uh, Jaden Reed and Bo Melton both had big plays uh, to take advantage of that, as you were saying. And uh, Jordan Love made big plays, and that's you know the type of receiver quarterback he should be, pushing the ball down the field, making big plays, and dealing with big mistakes if they happen. Because like the Flacco we talked about, if you throw a pick six down – or not pick six, an interception downfield, it's like a punt. And – I think on the flip side, you know, everyone's talking about the Vikings who, you know, are uh, gone through their fourth quarterback. Now they benched Nick Mullins after his game last week, which was very up and down 400 yards, four interceptions, et cetera. But they started Jaron Hall rookie out of BYU. This is his second start. We forget that he actually played pretty well paving way to Dobbs sanity. 
But Jaron Hall was an absolute dumpster fire in the first half and dug a huge hole. They benched him at halftime and brought Nick Mullins back in, and it was too little too late. And it goes to, so what's the question with Minnesota? Are they a borderline playoff team if Kirk Cousins comes back from injury and is re-signed? That's a big key if he's re-signed. Or are they a team with a lot of flaws that we are pointing to the quarterbacks as an excuse? You know what? I'm not sure, because if you go back to the middle of this season when Kirk Cousins went down, I believe that the Vikings had absolutely no intention of re-signing him. But if you then sit, you know, four quarterbacks later or three quarterbacks later, whatever they're on, now that they've actually experienced young quarterbacks and saw it is a dark and scary wilderness out there, you this is why quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins get paid 45 50 million a year you know fear of having to pay Daniel Jones 40 even good quarterbacks usually don't play well as a rookie we've seen it with Peyton Manning as we like to bring back and many others and many many others he's just a poster boy because he's a hall of famer you know and I don't no, I mean the quarter the GM wants a quarterback on a rookie contract, but we've seen a lot of quarterbacks on rookie contracts. We always talk about the success stories, but there are way more stories that don't work out. And way more. That's why guys like Kirk Cousins, competent quarterbacks look great. They get boring after you've seen him for 4 years and you get bored of them going I want a higher ceiling. Then you lose them and you go you 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 cycle through Jaron Hall and Josh Dobbs and Nick Mullins and you go you know, maybe we should pay Kirk Cousins. So this is going to be a very interesting story because I think Kirk Cousins has been the winner of these last few Vikings games, to be honest, because it's not yeah. just the Vikings that are struggling. I mean, he would look good in Raiders. He'd look better. I mean, I wish – I bet the uh, Giants and the uh, Saints – Falcons. And Falcons all wish they had him instead of the big money contracts they paid to uh, Derek Carr and uh, Daniel Jones. And the Falcons, you know, that, I mean, that's one of the worst situations. I mean, that's a team that could make the playoffs and they could have had Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I mean, they'd look great with Kirk Cousins in that offense, you know? So if you're a fantasy owner of, uh, you know, any of those pass catchers there, I bet you wish you had it. There's like, the running joke is that Russell Wilson will be the uh, Falcons quarterback next year and feature the most heinous offense we've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, but as much as we say about the quarterback, I think they have problems there that go deeper than that. I do not like the way their general manager is building their team at all. Daniil Hunter is probably going to be gone in this offseason or next, depending upon how they play it with the franchise tag. Mm -hmm. They have shown time and again that other than tackle, the, the interior of the offensive line is an afterthought position. The Minnesota Vikings, uh, <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings fan socials, those groups were like, hey, here's a win. Uh, Lewis Seen actually had eight snaps on the field on defense this week. Ouch. Oh, boy. Yeah. What did they give up for scene? I mean, oh, wait, that that's that's his season stats. I'm looking at him. He had. <laughs> He had eight snaps total for seven run defense and one coverage. This is a safety. Ouch. This was a first round safety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From two years ago. He, I mean, he redshirted last year. He was injured, but you know, 
to play apparently snaps this year too two full seasons yeah and like you mentioned um then you know daniel hunter i mean uh the big free agency contract was uh marcus davenport they signed him to a one-year prove it deal and he's on ir and he could walk away for basically nothing so like as good as their defense has looked in spurts, because I think Brian Flores has done a good job schematically and being unique. Um, I don't think they have the horsepower. I, I have not been impressed by the drafts by Quasi. I think it's Quasi. Quasi, the GM, I think it's Quasi. He's Quasi, all right. Right? <laughs> yeah, the defense. I mean, they did hit um, the, on Ivan Pace, linebacker. He's been one of the biggest steals of the draft, mid-round uh, linebacker. But that's about it. That's one. I mean, that was how the Lions got to be so bad for so many years was getting one good player out of a draft. I mean, I'm looking at their defensive PFF grades. Pace is top 20. Uh, safety Cameron Bynum is top the 16th. And that's it. The next highest rated guy is uh, Daniel Hunter at 31. Edge rusher. They don't have a lot. It's in fact, I'm actually very impressed at how well their defense has played as a collective, considering how bad their grades have been individually. Well, in football, when you do something different, that makes you by definition better because you're harder to prepare for. And the Minnesota Vikings under Flores have had one of the most unique defenses in the league with high, with very good edge rushers, blitzes coming from every angle, often using a three safety look. Just a lot of bizarre things that teams are not used to seeing until you get to the division where you play them twice a year and they know the personnel. I was about to say, I'm pulling up the schedule right now. They beat Chicago their first time. They lost the rematch. They beat Green Bay the first time. They got killed in the rematch. They lost to Detroit in a close game two weeks ago. Who knows what happened in the rematch because that's for one more thing and um, there might not be a lot of motivation to play, so it might not be a good data point, but yeah, correct. They're really going to have to nail this draft because the general manager to me is under a lot of scrutiny right now. And how the way that they handle this uh, quarterback situation, especially might go a very long way to how his job security is by this time next year. And by the way, this is a deep quarterback draft. There's a good chance they get the fourth or fifth guy at their pick in the middle of the draft. Um, it could be Penix, who's playing for the national title next week for Washington. Could be Jane Daniels out of LSU. You're not getting one of the top two. But if they do that, this will be the GM's third year. If they turn on a rebound, he's er, tear it down for a rebuild. He will probably be gone by year four. You have to tear it down your first year, not your third year. Yeah, I mean, it's just been a bizarre series of decisions all the way through but we definitely want to touch on the Packers who have looked phenomenal but they still have their flaws the Packers firm fans firmly believe that they have a scary wild card team that nobody wants to face right now and Jordan Love statistically has really turned the corner all that stuff that we were saying in the early to mid part of the year about you had the huge number of uncatchable balls that love was throwing well it turns out that a whole lot of that was just young receiver core not running routes properly Hmm. imagine that i mean maybe i mean i'm gonna play devil's advocate i mean we we look at their win loss on on us on the surface they've won uh six out of their last nine which is very good but i'm just gonna go that the last month lost to the giants lost to tampa at home 
beat the Carolina Panthers by a last-second field goal, the worst team in the league, and then they trounced the Vikings. So recency bias shows they've won their last two games and won a decent amount, but they've been pretty bad three of the last four weeks, to be honest. They're still a very up-and-down team. I mean, they've showed flashes. They could make the playoffs, you know? And honestly, not to step on one more thing, but I think the Bears-Packers are going to be a lot harder pick than we think it is, than a lot of people, because both teams are – Bears are playing the right direction. The Packers are sometimes playing really well. Sometimes they're not. Do you think part of it is injuries, or do you that, – that does the, that's their inconsistency? Like, they've had Aaron Jones in and out of the lineup. Christian Watson's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Eric Stokes is on IR at cornerback. Jared Alexander was suspended last week, although they didn't apparently miss him because Jaron Hall couldn't hit the backside of the barn. Sorry, broadside of the barn. <laughs> Oh, he couldn't. He couldn't put it in the ocean if he was sitting in a rowboat. Yeah. So, I, I mean, mean, what's your take? The one thing there are two things that worry me very much about the Packers, uh, from a Packer fan perspective. The first one is the defense. Joe Barry, sorry, I couldn't stop laughing. You can't. Right. You can't not talk about this. It was lost in how bad the Vikings were. I'm not convinced that they fixed anything on defense. No, I think that they were playing an all-time bad quarterback situation. Agreed. A lot of the times where you, over the last four or five weeks, where the result hasn't been good for the Packers, it really hasn't been the offense's fault very much. It's been the defense giving up all kinds of yardage points, whatever. Remember way back at the trade deadline when they traded away one of their big corners? You're They're right. missing him now. Douglas? Yeah, you're right. That was a big loss. And you're right. They gave up 34 to Tampa. They gave up 30 to Carolina. That's not great. <laughs> no, it's not. But the other thing is coaching. Because Aaron Jones has been healthy far more often than he's been featured. Mm. You've had, even though he's been clearly the better, you know, A.J. Dillon has been awful this year. But he wasn't in previous years. Are they telegraphing his usage? Are does he need a jumbo package and they're not giving it to him? I mean, I don't know what's going on. Well, this is interesting because I, you brought up two points that got me thinking. Because the lack of use of Aaron Jones until recently, when they've been scoring a lot of points, has been covered up by the fact that everyone's focusing on Joe Barry's defensive play calling. No one's really focused on what the running back fields look like, and then. AJ Dillon on the flip side has been ha- has been happy to be masked by uh, Alex Vander Madison in the division being a bigger flame out at running back as uh, when it comes to efficiency than he has. But these are quietly bad things. They've been giving AJ Dillon a lot more work than Aaron Jones when Aaron Jones is healthy, as you pointed out. Aaron Jones is way better. I mean, he put up 120 yards and. 20 carries for six yards per carry. AJ Dillon at 3.9 yards per carry. That was probably his most efficient game last week. And even then something yeah. called P Taylor is still outshined. Patrick Taylor <laughs> running back. So I would Colbert. say that yeah, the Packers have had a lot of major, major injuries, including season enders to their offensive line this year. And that matters a whole lot more to a power back like AJ Dillon than it does to a speed back who needs a smaller seam to get through the crack. Uh, That being said, at the end of the day, there's still coaching issues going on with this team. The other thing that worries me is all this stuff is sort of tied together in coaching defense, running back situation. 
that's all basically coaching is the injuries because Christian Watson is he just cannot stay healthy. Jaden Reed looked like he had came up lame in the middle of the game against Green Bay, and there went the downfield speed component for this offense, other than Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. That's why we saw a lot of Bo Melton. It very quietly lost in that was the fact that once Jaden Reed went out, the Green Bay offense slowed to a crawl. That's one of the things that is going to be very disconcerting if neither of those players are back against the Bears. That'll be an interesting wait and see because the Packers also got off to a very hot start. So they were up 30 to three at one point. So maybe part of that was just getting offensively conservative, but we won't know until next week, you know, so that'll be a good one more thing. In fact, (laughs) in fact, let's uh, drop the email one more time at Midwest football podcast at gmail.com and get on to our week 18 picks. Plus one more thing. For those of you listening to the first time, we make all of our picks straight up. We're not a gambling podcast. There are many good ones out there. A lot of them, like probably hundreds or thousands. So we do football analysis. It's what we do. And one more thing is where we look at one thing for each of our teams that we want to look at more closely and try and learn just that little bit more as we go into the end of the season for some teams or the playoffs for others. Before we get into the game by game, I just want to point out a little victory lap for us. Um, last week I was five and two. Joe was four and three. The week before, Joe was a perfect five and zero, oh, and I was four and one. And if we did pick spreads, if you listen to last week's podcast, Joe said to take the points for the Lions. That's the better bet. And um, that was one of the thing games we both lost by picking the Lions straight up um, after that fiasco that Joe's already ranted about. But Joe was actually <laughs> right if he was a gambler because he would have picked the spread. So. Well, yes, but for bookies and number crunchers and live in very nice houses, and I live in a nice house also, but not that nice. So <laughs> beware. <laughs> you're not trying to you're not getting rich with these picks, but this is for fun. Yes. Yeah, we yes, we are just trying to apply our analysis is all in a way that lets us know how close or how far we are. In any case, let's get to our the very first game of next week. Note the unusual start time, Saturday, 4.15 p.m. The Steelers have their season on the line at the Ravens. So my one more thing is, uh, I hate to say this, are the, are the Ravens trying? No, I'm just kidding. This is a Steelers thing. Um, I want to see if the rejuvenated Najee Harris and Jalen Warren one-two punch that we saw the last two weeks under... Mason Rudolph, this is the Steelers run game I was expecting to see with Najee high volume and being fairly efficient and Warren being low volume and really efficient, but also taking over the passing game. This is what we saw after the bye week last year when the Steelers were hot. We didn't see it until Mason Rudolph took over, and I want to see if they can do one more game like that and uh, get the Steelers into the playoffs at a 10-win season. Yeah, I want to see if TJ Watt goes absolutely ballistic against the Ravens because that's probably what's going to have to happen for the Steelers to win this game if the Ravens play their starters. The Steelers' defense as it has evolved has had Porter, who got kind of dinged up a couple uh, weeks ago, one-on-one against the top corner and, excuse me, the top receiver, you know, stuffing the run with great play all around and then get all the underneath stuff and then pass rush from all covers. That's not going to work very well against the Ravens. 
be, who don't have a, a single dominant receiver that you can just shut down, who don't have a big time running back running game that they can rely on, who has a mobile quarterback that thrives on over blitzing. So I'm going to be picking the Ravens here under the assumption that they play their stars to just knock the Steelers out, knowing that they've got a buy coming next week. And this is what you were talking about. You were talking about how the Ravens spread the ball around with different pass catchers, different running backs. And this is a big reason why Lamar's a MVP front runner right now, because there's not one guy you can report to. He's the engine that drives the car. Um, I'm going to go with the Steelers. I think um, the game is going to be very close, despite it being on the road in Baltimore. And I just think the Steelers have more to play for at this point. And I know the Ravens could knock the Steelers out, but it doesn't matter. They still have to win in two weeks. It, it doesn't do them any good because someone will take their place. But it would be fun to knock out a division opponent. So maybe there's more to it than I'm giving it credit for. But I'm going to take the Steelers. Joe's taking the Ravens. The later game on Saturday, the Texans at the Colts. This is the night game, 815 in Indianapolis. What's your one more thing here, Brian? <sighs> I want to see how the Colts defense does against CJ Stroud, who is back from injury and he's gotten the Titan uh, Texans back on track, um, who probably should win the rookie of the year. Can the Colts uh, rain on that parade week 18 and knock the t- Texans out of the playoffs and punch their own ticket? Yeah, CJ Stroud was back from concussion and it does look like he's missing Tank Dell, who's out for the year because he was just okay last week. Dell I um, is out for the year, but they do get they did get Nico Collins back. I think he missed. They did. I do think the Colts are gonna win here, but it's gonna be a close game. And what I'm looking for especially is the run game with Jonathan Taylor. If the Colts can establish the run then they have a very good chance to shorten the game, take the ball out of Stroud's hands, and come back with a winner and maybe even get a lead. I'm gonna I'm gonna go head to head with Joe a second pick, and I'm gonna go with the Texans this week because they've had one of the best draft classes between Stroud, Dell, and Will uh, Anderson at defensive end. And just I'm just riding the Colts inconsistency. It just feels like a week where they're going to have a down week. Week, and to be honest, Jonathan Taylor, even back after his uh, injury and his contract signing, he's been this is his least efficient year. Um, he might bounce back in the offseason. Maybe he's not fully healthy yet. But um, this has not been the Jonathan Taylor we've seen the last few years. And um, with an inconsistent running game and an inconsistent line and an inconsistent quarterback, um, I'm just throwing up a random number generator and rolling the dice that uh, the more consistent quarterback play from the Texans will uh, get them to win. On to the Sunday games. We'll start with the Browns at the Bengals. And this is a screwy game because the Browns are taking their bye and the Bengals have been eliminated. Uh, what? How do you pick this one, Brian? Oh, this is tough. So for the listeners, uh, we have three straight two fours. Uh, we have uh, the rest of the six games will be covered in three games. It's this all AFC and NFC North interdivisional games to end the season. Man, I, I don't even want to bother with a one more thing, if that's okay to move this long, because the Browns are taking a bye week, like you said, and the Bengals are eliminated. So really my one more thing for both teams is let's evaluate who the future of the Bengals are and let's evaluate some depth with the Browns. Um, I'm going to pick the Browns. I think they have a little bit more depth and a little more swagger. And I think um, 
Pierre Strong might be an unsung hero for uh, at running back. He's the third stringer from the Browns, and he's looked pretty good in some spurts this year when uh, Ford and Hunt were banged up midseason. And I think he could be a potential uh, waiver pickup to, uh, to help people win if they're still crazy enough to play Week 18 championships. Yeah, let's just get a couple data points to for the Bengals going into the offseason and the Browns going to the playoffs here. Uh, I don't know how much we can meaningfully glean. I'm going to pick the Bengals because they're dumb enough to screw up their own draft. <laughs> good. That is a good point, actually. The Browns are going to have a good pick regardless, but the Bengals could move up some spots. It's kind of a logjam in the middle. Yep. Um, On to another game that could get really screwy, but it looks like both teams are playing full go right now. Vikings at Lions. I want to see what we get out of the uh, skill position players from the Vikings. Do uh, we seen Justin Jefferson return from injury? He's had a couple uh, ups and downs. He was really good two weeks ago. He was disappeared yesterday. Uh, we saw Ty Chandler good, really good a few weeks ago. He's kind of been struggling the last couple of weeks. I mean, efficiency wise, he's been good. They just haven't had a good running game and or game script. And I just want to see how these guys play, not necessarily from a fantasy perspective, but without Hawkinson and Addison banged up, there's a lot of pressure on these two guys to carry the load and the defense isn't very good i want to see if dan campbell smells some roses on the way to the game just chill out (laughs) from a you know player perspective who i actually want to examine here is brian branch who was more or less left one-on-one on on cd lamb for huge chunks of last week's game and he had some nice plays but i think cd lamb had like 5,893 receiving yards in that game. So I'm interested to see how they use Brian Branch because he really is best as a sort of box safety or slot corner, which is really one of the hardest jobs in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's been able to do so well is saying something, but if they try to put him up against Justin Jefferson one-on-one the whole game, that's Mm -hmm. asking for trouble. I want to say the CD Lamb dominating was a bittersweet uh, silver lining for you because he helped you win your fantasy championship um, against your own team. Unfortunately, yeah, I rather would have had but... the Lions win, honestly, but <laughs> understandable. Um, so my one more thing for the uh, Lions, as you kind of touched on, is I want to see if Dan Campbell can just rein it back. You can be a motivator without going for it all the time. Go for it on fourth and one on the 40-yard line, not fourth and 17 on your 20, or third or goal to go on a seven-yard line from a two-point conversion or something like that. Like I just want to see him rein in his playing calls just a little bit more responsible. Not all the time, not 50%, maybe 35%. You know, that's awesome. That's what I want to see out of his from his butt. What's your one more thing for the Vikings side of the ball? On the Vikings side, what – I want to see is I want to see how the Vikings offensive line, which is really one of those situations that they're going to have to monitor and improve next year, how they handle Aiden Hutchinson coming at them. And they might, the Lions might be getting some other defensive pieces back this week also. So how, how well they kind of contain that is going to go a long way. They might, we might see Dobbs because to try and get a bit of more of a mobile passer and try and give the lions more problems. It's interesting because Darisol, their left tackle is by far their best lineman, but Aiden Hutchinson could always line against the other tackle. And we'll see how that cat and mouse game goes. Yes, we will. Uh, Who's your pick lions. If they lose this one, unless they pull starters, 
I'm also taking the Lions. Dan Campbell is not the type to pull starters or even um, take a break. He's going to go all in for the win every week, and that's one of the reasons why I like him. I just don't like it when he goes for it on rec- recklessly. But I don't think it's that reckless to try yeah, to get these. He's driving seed. a lot of Lions fans crazy too. But getting a second seed and home field advantage through two rounds is a big deal, especially if since the Lions have not hosted a playoff game since you know 1991, 92. Yeah, 91 was the last. No, 93 I think was, it was the, the last 92 host. season, 91 season. I don't know. Whatever. It was 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time. In any case, the afternoon game and the last regular season game for this uh, Midwest football podcast season is the Bears at the Packers. So, as I alluded to earlier, another rising young team heading to Lambeau when the Packers have a win in your end game. What's your one more thing for? Let's start with the Bears. Oh, man, I was hoping to finish with them. But, well, okay, Packers with... then. Okay. All right. So, with the Packers, I want to see. How Jordan Love handles the Bears' resurgent defense with Montez Sweat because he has, like you said earlier, been pretty well. He's shown mature. He's getting on the same page with his young receiver receivers, and he's a young player himself. But the Bears have been a very opportunistic defense, defense since Sweat has been there, and Love is the profile that can throw a lot of picks in a game. So I want to see how he handles Montez Sweat and will he not throw the ball to Tyreek Stevenson and Tremaine Edmonds, Edmonds two, three times this game like the previous quarterbacks have been doing against the Bears? Good question. Uh, for me, for the Packers, I want to see how the secondary tries to contain uh, DJ Moore down the field because that I think that's going to be one of the keys to the game is if Stroud can lob big plays to more that's going to be very difficult for the for the Packers to come back from especially knowing the holes that have been in this defense lately Mm -hmm. so I'll go with my uh one more thing for the Bears because it, it is very much related to that because quietly DJ Moore is not so quietly been having a great season one of the best in Bears history and his his best season but quietly, the Bears haven't really had a secondary pass catcher. Mooney has turned into a pumpkin. Clay, Claypool is gone. Tyler Scott and Villas Jones, the last two years, uh, picks have not been panning out. Um, Komet did not play much last week. He's been the guy. And then the question is, if the Packers take away DJ Moore, where does Fields go? Will he continue to find Komet in the intermediate routes? Will he continue to take the checkdowns and be patient and get the ball to Roshan and Khalil or just use his legs? That's what I want to see, how Fields will react to the Packers if they take away DJ Moore. Because I agree with you. If they don't take away DJ Moore, the Bears could put some points on. But they have yeah. if they're getting Jair Alexander back, they have the horsepower to take him away. I like the what you're saying here. You're basically you want to see a sort of mature offense being run by you know, Justin Fields, and I think that's a really good thing. We know you can run at the Packer defense, and again, assuming that they take away or at least limit DJ Moore, I want to see the Bears again establish the running back. Can Khalil Herbert make it? You know, three games in a row. And that's Rosa's what I want to see. Pretty good in the backup. It's been a very good one-two punch. It's everything we, or at least I envisioned in the offseason. Yeah, it just took this long to get everybody <laughs> healthy and 16. coordinated and on the same page. Yeah. And 
I agree. And to me, I'm going to, so this is weird because as good as the fields are for the bears, they have to finish this season the way that the Packers started against them. They got it quickly on the Packers and completely imploded. They need to have a Falcons like game script fields needs to show because he has all the love in the world from Chicago right now. But if you don't beat the Packers and this is not the Packers with Brett Farr or Aaron Rodgers, you have to say this is a changing of the uh, the field, <laughs> changing the guard game where Fields says Jordan Love, I'm the guy who's going to dominate this rivalry for the next five years, ten years, and this is the time to do it. We saw Aaron Rodgers do it when he took over, and I'll be curious to see who does it. Is it Jordan Love like he did Week One, or will it be Fields in Week 18? And to me, that is the biggest story of the game: is which young quarterback is going to say, "I own you." the way Aaron Rodgers has owned the Bears the last 15 years. And I have to do it. I'm going to take the Bears uh, to end the season on a high note. I'm taking the Bears also. I've never had any doubt. They're just playing better right now. And the defense is more complete, to be honest. The team is more complete. Yeah. That's all the time we have for Week 17 Reactions, Episode 38 here of the Midwest Football Podcast. We are so grateful that you took the time to listen to us today. So please give us a like, subscribe, message us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. And we are very grateful that you take the time with us. We hope you have a great afternoon, day, evening, morning, whenever it is that you give us a listen. Thank you also to Raymond for our intro and outro music off of his uh, CD, Call to Me. Thank you to Chris Branley for the logos on our socials. And... Thank you for all the all of the fans who have been listening to us all season long. We are so grateful. But until we close out the regular season next week, we are going to take it into the locker room and we will see you later. For 2023 and the fantasy football season, I miss you already.